0: So call 877-714-1318 and discover the Foundation's Recovery Network difference today.
1: This is Rich Roll, and you're listening to
0: Sober Guy Radio. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. This is Shane Raymer, and you're listening to the Friday edition of Sober Guy Radio. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the Tuesday show with the big homie Seth Mantor. Uh, He's been doing a great job. Much love and gratitude to him for stepping out and stepping in and, uh, continuing to put out good content every Tuesday. So shoot him some love. Uh, you can find him on uh, Instagram, uh, at sober guy, Seth, and uh, also email him at Seth at Uh, today's guest is Darren Prince. Uh, Darren's an entrepreneur and sports and celebrity agent. And uh, he's also in recovery for addiction and as uh, a public recovery advocate and speaker, Uh, He represents uh, many high-profile clients like Charlie Sheen, Hulk Hogan, uh, but his journey really started at the age of 14 when he started a mail-order company selling baseball cards called Baseball Card City and then traveled around the country doing trade shows. Uh, So Darren's got an amazing story. He's also got a new book coming out called Aiming High, How a Prominent Sports and Celebrity Agent Hit Bottom at the Top. And we're going to hear from him in just a minute. But first, be sure to check us out at ThatSoberGuy.com for past episodes, resources. Uh, You can also connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at RealThatSoberGuy on Instagram and at Shane Raymer on Twitter, And uh, one more thing I wanted to mention too, uh, we have the first Sober Guy live show coming up September 7th, which is actually, as this goes live, that will be tonight. So we're super stoked about that. Um, We have a special guest TJ Woodward author and creator of conscious recovery He's going to be there to do an hour set with us and talk about victim mentality and uh, And just the struggles of addiction and kind of share some of his story and his program Uh, That's going to be at the phoenix theater in petaluma, california Uh, And like I said september 7th, that'll be tonight as that goes live You can go to that soberguide.com, click on live events and you can get tickets there or you can go directly to the thephoenixtheater.com and you can get some tickets there. Bring a friend. Come hang out with us if you're in the area. We're going to have some fun. We're going to share some stories, laugh, drink some coffee, and of course, talk recovery. Uh, so I'd love to see you guys there And then uh, thanks again to Foundations Recovery Network um, If you or a loved one Need some help You can always reach out to them They have a, a confidential and private line It's one eight seven seven 714 We've been working with those guys For a couple of years now They're great people They really do care And uh, they can answer any questions for you Once again that's 877-714-1318 Darren Prince What is up my friend How are you?
1: Hey man, thanks for having me. All good.
0: Yeah, good stuff, man. It's, uh, it's an it's honor to have you on. Really appreciate you taking some time with us today uh to sit in and talk about your story. Um you've had uh you've had quite the journey. Um, I love, you know, and I, I kind of had to mention the baseball card city thing because man, I was a big baseball card collector as a kid. And, uh, do you remember the Billy Ripken black box card? That was the one thing Probably I've been waiting just, to ask you.
1: It's, it's so crazy <laughs> that you'd mentioned that one of my business partners and agents, Nikki C, uh-huh. we spoke about it two days ago. You're really going to love my book. No
0: In way. The oh, wow. Second
1: chapter. I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I was at the 500 Club baseball card show with Manuel, DiMaggio, Williams in Atlantic City. Pete Rose produced it. My sister was going to University of Maryland. True uh-huh. story. This is in the book. The next week, being a baseball card entrepreneur, I knew I was going to see her. I wanted to have some extra money to buy drugs and party with my <laughs> boys because I always paid for everything. I was the only one making money. Yeah. I bought 100 Baltimore Orioles team sets, 100 of them. Wow! Billy Ripken was a rookie, but Cal was the star. And I figured, look, I'll buy them for five. I'll send them for 10 or 15 bucks. I'll make a quick grand while I'm down there. Yeah. I go back to my parents' house, drop my cards off, drop all my inventory. I go up to university or Bridgeport. And uh, we're all out partying that night. I wake up the next morning. The front page of the USA Today has a story about me, two other baseball card dealers, and the Billy Riffin card with the fuck face on the baseball bat. No way. A little off class, drive home, like 200 (laughs) miles an hour, shaking trembling i remember smoking a joint to calm myself <laughs> down i was still out of my mind holy and shit no joke you're gonna go wild because you'll read this right in the park yeah. i had a hundred team sets with wow. the, with the fuck face card those cards sold at that time i had stockbrokers coming to my dorm room i was getting a winner between 500 and a thousand dollars a card per card the 500 dollars. yeah the 500 dollars turned out to be wow. like a 75 or hundred thousand dollar windfall from the fuck face card
0: unbelievable man and and just to give a little background for this on people who might not know what the hell we're talking about there was a i think it's fleer 1987 somewhere 1989. around there. Na, 1989. 1989 1989 fleer uh bill ripken does a pose for the baseball card and on the knob of the bat is written fuck face and to my knowledge it was some <laughs> sort of joke right i mean I, I would love to hear the background story I don't don't know all of
1: he don't He wrote yeah, he he came out, he did an interview a few years ago, finally, and uh-huh. he said he was the prankster of the team. And he made a note <laughs> on the bat just to kind of label it for one of the players. And the joke wound up being on him um, because he got it. a call from the public relations department from Fleer that yeah. there's a nightmare about to happen. And he was the one holding the bat and was completely unaware of it.
0: That's great, man. I love it. So, so you made a killing on 100 sets of uh, Baltimore Oriole, Orioles yep. cards and had a good time doing it. Um, so I love it, man. You're an entrepreneur. You started at a young age. Um, I mean, how how did that start for you?
1: You know, I grew up in uh, Livingston, New Jersey. I was labeled as having a severe learning disability, ADD, whatever you want to call it. School wasn't my thing. But I realized I had something very unique when I would look at baseball cards that I was able to study the statistics on them and became like a genius with everybody's stats. So I used that to kind of form a lot of friendships with the guys. I was somewhat athletic, so I couldn't talk school, but I could talk sports. I could talk stats. And then eventually, when everybody started coming into dating, I was a late bloomer. I could care less about girls until I was like 17 or 18. At 13, 14, you start growing out of it. And my guys, look, uh, whatever, they were sitting around. I started holding three different side jobs to buy everybody's collections. And the ones that wanted the cards, they cared about Dom Mattingly. You grew up on that ever. Wade Boggs, Daryl yeah. Strawberry. Mm-hmm. I cared about the Mickey Mantles, the Joe DiMaggio's, the stuff they got from their uncle and grandfathers. And I would trade them all the current guys. And I would take the old ones because they were all worth a lot more money and uh-huh. eventually turned it into a business
0: yeah it's crazy man at a young age I mean there's a lot of kids I mean because you're hustling in a sense and there's a lot of kids out there selling drugs and hustling and you decide you're gonna hustle baseball cards instead and you end up turning it into um, a very prominent business uh, obviously I said in the bio you traveled around the different trade shows I'm assuming that's how you kind of got connected to a lot of the um, uh, the sports figures that are uh, you know that that were either actively playing or retired at the time what was that like as a young a young guy coming up and making these cards contacts, not only are you running this business and trying to grow this business, but you're also making some pretty cool connections with different guys who you probably uh, somewhat looked up to or idolized some of them.
1: No, yeah, for sure. Everything you said uh, was spot on. I I was at a convention in Westchester County. There was a promoter um, that used to do these huge shows and Mickey Mantle, Reggie Jackson, Pete Rose, uh, Joe DiMaggio, they were all there signing autographs and I pulled in that morning Um, to park in the back lot. And I saw the line wrapped around the corner. And I I thought it was for all the baseball card dealers. And some of it was, but it was primarily for these athletes. And that's really when the light bulb went on I go, wait a minute, I'm doing great selling baseball cards. But this is pretty cool. You know, you can get to hang with celebrities, you get to, you know, get autographs and meet your hero. I'm like, I got to find out more about this. And um through mutual friend uh, Jeff Hamilton, who was a very famed leather jacket designer, still is in the industry. He introduced me to Harlan Warner, who was Muhammad Ali's agent. Hmm. Um, and Harlan put my first deal together for me, doing an autograph signing. I started my own company, and then I started booking these guys for their own signings. And mm-hmm. that's how it happened. Um, I, I just said, this is unbelievable. You know, you you know pay a guy tens of thousands of dollars to sit in a hotel room or a lot more to deal with the public for a few hours. Sometimes yeah. I took inventory because I had a company. Other times I would just take the commission. Eventually that evolved. Three, four years later, I saw a bigger play, and Magic Johnson was a client as well. and. I wanted to evolve into uh, the agency side. I wanted to do the the, the corporate endorsements, the keynote yeah. speeches, the licensing deals. And um, I got into some trouble, which I talk about in the book, with the FBI selling some fraudulent memorabilia that I was unaware of. And mm-hmm. um, it was one of those stages in life where I looked and I said, hey, I, I heard from so many different people. I'm going to make lemonade out of lemons. And uh, thank God, because Magic yeah. Johnson believed in me, I, I was able to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's pretty amazing stuff right there. And that was just, I, I want to say, if I remember correctly, you sold um, uh, Baseball Card City at uh, at the age of 20, and then that's when you went into Prince Marketing Group. And was was Magic Johnson your first client?
1: Yeah, Prince Marketing Group started in 1995. I'm sorry, Prince Marketing I had, Group. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I had Prince Accords, which was the Mermabilia company, from maybe, I don't know, for about a five-year period until I sold it. But Magic, yes, he was my first client for Prince marketing group. I was, uh, like I said, I got into some legal problems. I had a tremendous amount of debt here. i had like this 11 year run of making more money than I what to do with. And I lost everything in a matter of a year yeah. and then some from, um, this issue that, that, that wound up happening. And, uh, he believed in me and, yeah. which was unbelievable. Cause at the time we really only knew each other for a couple of years and my, my late father, uh was the one that always pushed me and he was my my mentor in business yeah. and said look darren he goes it's all about who you know in life not what you know and yeah. you've got one of the most beloved figures in the world and you can go to muhammad ali's house and joe frazier's house and all these people and he goes if this is something you want to pursue you don't need to be a lawyer you don't need to be uh you know a college graduate because you've you've got the resources to yeah. just get the nerve to speak to magic and uh he knew all about second chances and he gave me one.
0: Yeah. I love that, man. I love that example of stepping out and, and getting a, almost getting to a point of, um, of pure faith and uncomfortableness where look like I see something I'm going to go after it. And, and good thing. I mean, I think that's a good opportunity to point out too. having good people around us that support us and drive us in the right direction. Like it sounds like your father did. Um, so it, uh, amongst all of this, obviously, you know, the, the book, um, and it is the basis of it is recovery. So how does addiction kind of play into your story in, in all this entrepreneurship and, um, starting Prince marketing group, where does the addiction part come in and how, how does that play a role in your whole journey, Darren?
1: Okay. So, so addiction was there the entire way. And even before then my first experience with any sort of drugs was at 12 years old. I was at sleep away camp with horrible stomach pains. Now, mind you, being labeled with a learning disability, insecure, feeling of less than, never feeling a part of, always feeling different. I had horrible stomach pains, went to the nurse, and she gave me this green liquid that tasted disgusting. Um, and I'm walking back on the softball field with my counselor, and all of a sudden, I arrived. Every feeling, every inadequacy, I felt whole. I felt yeah. for the first time in my life, this is the Darren Prince I need to be 24 7. And the next night, having no pain, wound up, you know the night it happened, I'm talking to all the guys, I'm the funny one, I'm the cool one, I'm the good looking one, all the things I wanted to be I'm flirting with the girls in the bunk next door, all the things I couldn't do just being me. Yeah. The next night, yeah. I'm lying in bed, no pain whatsoever, not an ounce of stomach pain, I go to the counselor, my stomach's killing me. I did this for three straight weeks until my parents came for visitation day. And my mom put the kibosh on it, she found out they were giving me liquid Demerol. So mm-hmm. that feeling um, yeah. that 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 was such an obsession and a craving from 12 that I got reconnected with it at 15 when I was at a dentist appointment getting um, uh, wisdom teeth pulled. And they gave me whatever the opiates were back then, uh, and Percocets, mm-hmm. and went through the whole bottle in a few days, started crying to my mom. The pain was excruciating. I needed to go back. There was no more pain. I wanted more. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I was on the phone calling people I would never have the nerve to talk to. I was flirting with girls on the phone that, you know, there was no Facebook, but then calling people's numbers. I have laughing with all the guys that, you know, feeling of inadequacy. I never could have been that Darren without that in my system. And I just knew the person I needed to be had to have something in my system at all times. So then when the baseball card business hit and you take the, everything I just told you, inadequacy, insecurity, feeling of less than, learning disabled, all these labels, and you give somebody money with those type of ingredients, those yeah. type of feelings, forget about it. You know, I'm just the one that was able to buy the drugs, buy the ecstasy, the weed, the Coke, everything. And look, it was manageable. I tell people for a long time, I look back at my journey, I, I don't know when it turned to me. I don't know the exact point, but I, managed to build an amazing business. I was a sick person, but I was a good person. I didn't always do the right thing, but I was accountable. Once the agency started, that's when it went to a whole different level because here I am not comfortable in the real world as Darren Prince. I get sucked into this dream world, this fantasy world that everybody has to see on the movies, on TV, Fantasize about what it's like with the private jets, the red carpets, the Oscars, the sideline passes for the Super Bowl, sitting a ringside yeah. at the biggest fights in the world, Tyson Holyfield with Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Mike Tyson. I mean, these are, you can't buy these experiences. Now, I'm thinking from the outside, I've got everything put together, but every single one of these experiences, mo- most of the time, 99%, it was always pure opiates. And, um, you know, of course I would drink, but for me, it always came down to the opiates. And, within a 10 year period, probably my early 30s, I, I knew something was going very wrong, it wasn't yeah. having the same effect anymore. My day could not start, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't think I couldn't work out, I couldn't make a phone call, I couldn't do anything until I had it in my system, I could yeah. not function. And then, you know, as they say, what at some point turned out to um, living to use, it turned out to be using to live. Wow.
0: Yeah. You, you, you mentioned something too about the functionability and it's funny, man. I just, I, I meet with my sponsor on uh, on Thursday mornings and, and we were talking about the high bottom and the low bottom. And he was kind of explaining a little bit more about his own, um, you know, journey and circumstances. And it just reminded me of that because I think that there's, there's a part with, you know, and I'm not trying to speak for anybody else out there, but I know that because I've talked to them, there's a lot of other men and women out there who, have that struggle they feel like they have it all together and and a lot of us do like same same with me i never i i was close to losing my family and my job and having duis but i never i never got that and so it was easy to justify the behavior Uh, did you find any any sense of that like with your own you know with your own circumstances and things that were going on that it made it easy to justify the behavior you were doing just because of um you you were successful i mean let's call it what it is.
1: Of course. And the bottom line is like most people I got arrested four times in my early 20s, lost my license for a year. Nothing ever happened after that A uh, oh, horrible man. overdose in Las Vegas in February of 2007 before uh, an NBA All-Star Game party that Dennis Rodman had. And that's when that's when I really knew that 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 something was you know, bad that, you know, I, I couldn't control this thing anymore. But when you're supporting a lot of people, bro, like me and I have a lot of different people on payroll I'm taking care of family members, loved ones, they yeah. see all this money coming in. Yeah, like you said, it's easy for people to kind of look at it and be like, well, does he really have a problem? Plus, as crazy as this sounds, because I know what an epidemic it is, I do believe I was a functioning opiate addict, Mm. just like you hear functioning alcoholic. Nobody knew. Maybe even in the end, maybe four people in my life knew how horrible this was. One was Magic Johnson, because I had to call him. I called him a year and a half before I got clean. Mm. And... You know, he didn't care about the money. He didn't care about other issues I was having in my life at that time. He said one thing: is you have to get your act together. You got to get clean. He goes, you got a family, you have a, yeah. a booming business, you have a life beyond your wildest dreams, and think about that. Here I am. I got him asking, yet telling me what I needed to do, and it still took another year and a half. A client that one in a trillion lifetimes you can't get, and wow. that's how powerful this disease was that didn't matter what anybody told me I needed to find my own bottom I needed to, you know, have my ego, as I like to say, destroyed, crushed, hmm. obliterated, and, and be non existent to understand what I've accomplished means nothing. Yeah, I, I personally, you know, I always like to say I am a drug addict in recovery first before anything, it's got nothing to do with the business. And that's what keeps me nice and calm and centered and serene. Yeah. The job is what I do. You know, I work for these people that have extraordinary talent and have accomplished extraordinary things, and I'm nobody special unless my sobriety comes first.
0: Yeah, man, I love the humbleness and staying in that mindset because it is huge. I mean, it's it'd be easy in the in the business that you do to uh, to get away from that, and um, that's uh, that's something that's got to be tough sometimes. But it sounds like you keep you keep a good um grounded program and i guess um from here I, I mean what was that what was that moment or what was that bottom that that finally um you know made you surrender i guess i think surrender is a good word um i mean i know i absolutely. love absolutely <laughs> what what was absolutely, that moment man. like for you and when, when did it happen
1: First up, I got to say, I love doing an interview with somebody like you versus like a CNN or somebody else because we <laughs> speak the same language. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just so yeah. freaking awesome, man. Yeah, you know, thanks, like man. I appreciate sometimes that. we use these terms when we're talking to another host or something, they kind of yes you, and but they don't understand. I mean, yeah. what you just said, that was it. I finally had that gift of desperation. I finally had that God moment. I had an awakening. I know a lot of people don't, they get in whatever way they got in, but it was July 2nd, 2008 and um my uncle and his then girlfriend are both in the rooms they still are uh Mm -hmm. for for double digits and uh she knew i i I was spent having never met me before she saw the look in my face and asked me what was up i was on uh suboxone i was on a mood stabilizer i was on anxiety medication i was on ambient i was drinking um i was on antidepressants and i was a freaking zombie and when she asked me what was up i told her I, I said i'm sick i'm sick i'm suffering i don't want to live anymore she's like do you realize you're an addict your life's unmanageable i said absolutely she goes are you willing to do anything it takes to get sober i was like anything i go i'll, I'll give up my business i didn't even care yeah. i i was like i, I just I, I can't function anymore and um she put me on a little detox july 2nd 2008 i was in the gym in new york city i was married at the time i came back to my apartment called her up screaming i can't do it anymore i I was clean for a few days i go my brain is freaking opiate deficient i gotta freaking call the doctor i gotta freaking buy what i need and my uncle said this is the goddamn disease talking you need to find an aa or na meeting you're in new york city go online put your goddamn hand up tell these people you're sick you're suffering you need help yeah and i said i can't freaking do it i hung up the phone i go into the bathroom bro I opened up a little medicine bottle because I was taking clonopin little pieces mm. of it to help with the withdrawal. And two, I believe it was Vicodins or Percocets came out, which me and my then wife thought we cleared out everything. Yeah. yeah. And I fell on my knees. Mm. I fell on my knees. That was it. I fell on my knees shaking, trembling and crying, praying to God, I cannot do this anymore. Whatever you have to do, whatever I need to do, please do it for me. And, um, I felt something on my right shoulder. I heard the voice tell me, I got you and you're ready. And I stood up and it wasn't me that stood up and I flushed the pills down the toilet. I went into the living room, went on a computer. I found an AA meeting in the upper 90s at nine o'clock that night and on the cab ride over thinking, holy shit, for the first time in my life, I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to stay high. What the hell just happened? And I walked in a room, 150 people with no shame, threw my hand right up. I said, I'm sick, I'm suffering, I'm desperate. You've been there. You know, a lot of us have. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden yep. you have a dozen people come over to you in the middle of a room and you're a complete stranger giving you phone numbers, patting mm-hmm. you on the back, telling you we got you. You know, you're, you're, you're in the right place, you know, to feel that love and that warmth for the first time, that acceptance yeah. that I found a place where I needed to belong. And it wasn't with Magic Johnson or Hulk Hogan or Smoking Joe Frazier. It was in a church basement. In New York City, hmm. that I finally knew I arrived.
0: Yeah, dude, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much, uh, bro, for for sharing that. Um, I know that's a very uh, personal and at the same time um, moment in time that uh, that I, I I get it. I mean, sometimes it's hard it's hard to talk about. It's hard for me to talk about my own experience in that sometimes too. And, and and what real quick, I wanted to touch on is you said that it wasn't you that voice that you heard and that to me that's a that's that spiritual awakening that's that moment when we're so fucking desperate that we're willing like you said to do whatever it takes like i don't care what it is i'll give my business up i don't fucking care but just please help me like something help me and and um you know to and you said too like you didn't feel like it was you that stood up like, uh, how, what is that experience like for um, for someone out there listening who is desperate out there um, to just know that, like, I, here's I'm pushing all my chips in. I'm all in right now. Like, just take it over and, and please help me. Um, what was that
1: like for you? Well, I was like seeing the light. I mean, it was just it, it was the the, it's the single greatest day of my life. But what, yeah. what, what I thought was my bottom turned out to be my getting. That's mm-hmm. when you hear about in our struggle, we find our greatest strength. And I completely surrendered. And then one day at a time, and on the tougher days, it was one minute at a time. Because let's face it, not every day is easy. Just because we get clean and sober mm-hmm. doesn't mean life doesn't come at us. I don't care if you have two days or 25 years. Yeah, And that, that was basically just, it, it was just the most magical, you know, thing that's yeah. probably ever happened to me. I mean, there, 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 there was nothing that I can compare to it. And then I started realizing one day at a time, as I can do this, that I told my dad, when he was alive, I go, I want to use my platform here as an agent to go out and tell people you can do this. Because the reality is, I told my mom and dad that there is such shame there is yeah. such embarrassment and humiliation. That's why we're losing lives. That's why people aren't recovering. So I need to embrace it. I don't work for William Morris or CIA or ICM. Thank God I've been blessed to own my own agency. Yeah. And I've got to support every single one of my clients because they knew how much I was struggling. And once I knew that, and once I knew they were giving me their blessings, and they knew that this was a lot bigger than Darren yeah. Prince, the agent, this was about Darren Prince, trying to help inspire a few people along the way and help save and change some lives. That was it. Yeah. I was like, this is this is just amazing. And July 2nd this year, man, it was just proof of what I cannot even tell you how many people I celebrated 10 years sober. Oh, wow. How nice. Many man. people texted phone calls, emails, mm. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's just like it's the greatest thing I've done for myself. Yeah. For the longest amount of time in my life. And nothing comes before it. I go to meetings all over the world. I was in Hawaii over the weekend for five days, I went to beach meetings in Honolulu, my fiance is from Australia, Priscilla, and she knows when we stay in downtown Sydney, right across from the hill, and there's different meetings that I go to once a day, Uh, Anguilla, Monaco, um, Can to Toronto, Montreal, because to me, it's, it's a fellowship around the world that we understand a way of life, we understand the way that we think, you know, and and, and like and AA now to me means more attitude adjustment than anything. Like, I want to be that better person because I know if I'm in that asshole mode, that's putting me closer to the behavior that I never want to go near to again. And I want to be able to say what I mean to people mean what I say and not say it mean, I want to try to understand somebody instead of me being understood in the heat of an argument. I don't want to engage anymore. I'd rather feel all right than right. That's what I tell people and staying in that mindset and not engaging. It it just keeps me on this peaceful journey. Look, I'm not always perfect. You know i still screw up that so we've got the steps you know and yeah. we can get right back at it but it's it's just not worth anymore to have that emotional hangover to open up my big fat mouth sometimes and say something <laughs> that i don't want to yeah. say and you know yeah. i just love being in this peaceful mode where i could be of service i know that god rewards me one more day allowing me to use my voice to help other people because i've done the right thing for 10 years now you know yeah. not that i've been perfect but i've done you know, uh, you know the textbook AA and text step twelve step fellowship. I've done it. You know, about as good as you could.
0: Yeah, man. So first, dude, congratulations on ten years. Um, that's huge, man. That's an absolute, um, just great milestone to hit. And I, and I know you understand the fact of. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those unsaid things that it, like time celebrating time is, is, um, it's a great thing and it is a milestone. And at the same time, you've already kind of said it, you know, you're doing this shit one day at a time at the same time, putting the next foot in front of the other. And that's kind of really how we have to approach recovery. I think at least, at least for me, that's how I tend to, uh, to try to do it. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention is, is it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be such a strength for you and your company with, with the business that you're in to be able to be so grounded. And you mentioned it earlier about this fantasy, this fantasy um, that people have when they see media and lights and cameras and celebrities and all that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I I think it's part of our culture and, and people, you know, it's entertainment. That's what it's there for athletes from, you know, all kinds of that. But at the same time, it's gotta be, um, a tough business to be in if you're not grounded at that level and able to stay and understand like you said earlier, man, and I appreciate this. You saying this, you said I'm nothing special. And as soon as we start thinking that we are something special and, and I've, I've been, you know, through this myself, it's like, boom! God slaps the shit out of me, and he's like, you know, what's what's wrong with you? You better get back on track here. Um, so, what is that like, though, being in that atmosphere? And um, and is that a strength for you in being able to stay so grounded and stay humbled and stay on the right track?
1: It, it, it's not a problem, and as long as I stay on that spiritual beam, I go to my meetings, I speak to my sponsees, I speak to my sponsor, I work the steps. Yeah. Um, it's not a problem. And I'll be honest with you, some of the some of the big ad agents, some of the agents, my, my colleagues that I've worked with, bro, they've adapted the same way of life, and they don't have drug and alcohol issues, hmm. because they just see a change in me. And it's, it's almost awesome. like we say in the program, if you want what I have, then do what I do. Mm-hmm. And it, because it, it, it at the end of the day, we're all here for a certain amount of time and you make the best of it. I, I, I'd be a freaking jerk off right that. I think I'm anybody <laughs> yeah. freaking special. I was given an opportunity <laughs> to these guys that have accomplished extraordinary things and ability by themselves on the football field, in the mm-hmm. wrestling ring, on the basketball court, in the boxing ring whatever it is, I was just blessed to be in the right place at the right time, take advantage of those moments and still have them support me and love me and care for me. And yeah. it, it's it's just not me anymore. And, you know, some of the behavior, I'll be honest with you, I look back at it. And uh, when I was writing the book with, with Kristen, my my writer, who was amazing. Uh, some of it was embarrassing, man, because I knew that it was about you know buying a hundred thousand dollar actor nsx at 20 years old with the diamond rolexes and the strippers Mm -hmm. and the jeff hamilton three thousand dollar jackets and i mean looking like freaking versace and (laughs) that that was me saying i am broken look at me now yeah yeah. i i I could do all i I could buy a rolex tomorrow for a hundred thousand dollars i don't i wear I, i wear I am not anonymous, a rubber band right Right now that's on my, uh, a company out of Connecticut makes t-shirts, and I wear a spiritual bracelet on the other side, because that's yeah. just not me anymore. I don't care yeah. about the flesh. I don't need to prove to people who I am. The most important thing is what I am, and it's mm. a recovering drug addict one day at a time that's trying to yeah. keep what I have and also give it away to other people. The rest of it is just a byproduct of what I do. Yes,
0: it's so awesome, man, because all that material stuff, uh, I I can't remember who said it. I heard somebody say like a man's soul is so big that any material possession will never fulfill it. Only the spirit of love or God or whatever you want to call it um, can fulfill that spirit. And, um, you know, all that stuff is really meaningless at the end of the day. We don't come into this world with it and we sure as shit don't leave with it. So uh, I love that you pointed that out, man. That's great. Um, let's, uh, let's kind of transition into the book a little bit, uh, uh, man. And then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. Um, I'm really enjoying this convo too. So once again, Darren, like, thank you for taking some time and sharing, being open to stuff, man. It's, it's really, really good stuff. Um, you said you worked with, um, with, with Kristen, your writer and, um, and, and Anna on the book, right. And, uh, so how did that, how did that kind of come about? And, uh, when did, when did this little journey of this book begin?
1: Well, uh, I, my dad always wanted me to write a book, and I, I, I just, again, being a uh, you know a sober you know advocate, I, I just why why write about my accomplishments? That's not that's not who I am anymore. And then he was like, well, you could talk about the Muhammad Ali Joe Frazier story, it's an mm. iconic achievement of almost any agent to get the two biggest kings in the history of sports together. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, but there's not a whole book there. And then I met up with Anna for the first time about a year ago. Um, she had Ryan Hampton there, who I love to death. Oh, Ryan's and, awesome too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Awesome. So so she had Ryan, I, I I go way back, with Chris Heron, Chris is my boy for, you know, at least five or six years you now, we got sober 29 days apart and didn't even know that didn't even know each other back then. So, you know, she was kind of intrigued by my story and obviously the whole celebrity thing. And, you know, she's like, I have a publishing company and I said, Oh, that's interesting. And we started talking back and forth because I'm a writer, I'd like you to talk to her, Kristen McGinnis. And. We completely hit it off. My dad passed away in February of 2017, and literally it was eight months later. You know, I signed a deal to, to publish the book. And um, awesome. Kristen was just absolutely fantastic. Anna was the best i've ever seen i mean it, she she was just on top of every single detail yeah. i could not have had a better dream team and uh the intro of the book is all about muhammad ali and joe Frazier. people have to pick it up and read it i've never told it before i've been offered money from gq magazine espn wanted me this was more about my experience with these two regal kings the most bitter battle in the history of sports, the number one rivalry in the history of global sports, there's nothing ever close to Ali Frazier. And I was the one one of them one of the people my buddy Harlan was anybody to make it but I was the one on site to make it all happen. And I was high on opiates the entire time, (sighs) because I never felt that I belonged. I did not feel that I deserved to be there. Now looking back at it, I know I did. Now, when I look back at it, I deserve that privilege to be there. And I deserve their trust and their respect. Um, Mm. But but you didn't feel
0: worthy. You didn't feel worthy at that time.
1: And and my nerves were out of control. I mean, Mm. here I am in 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 a spot where uh, any president, world leader, mega A-list celebrity. I mean, I've been in the presence of Spielberg crying in front of Joe Frazier. I've seen Lionel, Richie, De Niro, Pacino, these guys around and it's, it's it's a different animal. Ali and Frazier yeah. were just, they were the closest thing to godlike figures we've ever had on this earth. And, and you know, President Clinton, I, 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 Michael Jackson, I, I've seen it all. So now yeah. here I am alone with the two of them at 32 years old. And, and, and still having all those insecurities, all the underlying roots that you know stayed with me from childhood, being like, "How the heck yeah. did I wind up here?" Yes, I've known both of these incredible men for at the time it was six or seven years. I spent dozens of times around both of them, but just was so broken. My my nerves were shot, and I was high as a kite on opiates because I couldn't experience yeah. not only that night. The next day, we sat center court courtside. Uh, seat one and two together with Muhammad and Joe, and same thing. I'm literally before we even went out on the court. I went to the bathroom, and I remember chopping up uh, Percocets and having to snort oh. them because that was the quickest way to get them into my system so I could feel what was about to happen. That's how sick I was.
0: Wow. Yeah, just just super bad anxiety and just a heaviness, and you want to escape, sure. right? I mean, sure. you want to escape that. It's funny too, as much as you probably want to be there. And enjoy the experience. You have to escape just to deal with the stress or anxiety, of whatever it is that's going on, man. What a probably, what a trip, right? man. I mean-
1: yeah, I mean, Justin Timberlake is dating Britney Spears at the time. They're coming over. Puffy came over with his son, Justin. It was a little <laughs> wow. kid magic. And cook here to my left. I got Michael Jordan, Iverson, and Kobe. I mean, and everybody's coming to me. The media's coming to me about doing interviews. Both yeah. guys didn't want to do press. I'm pushing people away and, you know, dealing with all the security around us. And it was just, yeah, you want to be there, but you also don't want to be there because yeah. I just, I'm, I'm not built at that time to deal with that. Now, yeah. if I can go back in a time machine... Forget about it. I can do it like clockwork because mm. I've grown to not just like myself, but love myself, and not from an egotistical standpoint, but love well, the yeah. way that God, God, has slowly turned me into the person that I've meant to be, not mm-hmm. the person I was trying to be all those years.
0: Yeah, I mean that. That's a, that's. That's, like, such an important part of this, too, um, is, is getting to know self and understanding self. And then on top of that, loving, loving self. Um, do you find, too, that now that you're sober, like... Now, now you kind of know who you are You you understand yourself You've gotten to know yourself And you continue to learn about yourself To take on life's challenges And because like you said earlier too This shit's not perfect Like we all have our days Like some days are better than others No doubt Being in recovery is not all rainbows and sunshine Like there's shitty days still But the difference is Is like now I get to feel some of those days And although they suck sometimes um, At least I'm alive And at least I can feel that um, Do you think that that's been a huge thing for you And just knowing self and learning how to love yourself too.
1: Uh, uh, absolutely I mean it, it's it's huge I mean what you just said was perfect man I mean it's, it's exactly the truth and you know that like you know Hulk Hogan once told me it's about riding the highs and surviving in the lows and yeah everybody you don't have to have addiction issues to understand this and uh, it, it, it's just learning who you are and knowing what you can deal with and knowing when it gets to that point of too much, what's your checkout? What do you do to take that break? You know, my my fiance Priscilla is, uh, she's an NLP practitioner. She gives me great techniques. I got the most amazing staff, my boy, Bo, Nikki C, Steve, Frank, these guys just know what I need when I need it. Mm. And, uh, it, it, it's you know you you need a supporting cast with it too yeah, because yeah. none of us can do this by ourselves and yeah. sometimes it's the outside world and sometimes it's my spiritual brothers and sisters too. Um, you know, I, I was with Tim Ryan the other day, the dope man. He's my man, also. You know, mm-hmm. I, I he just made my day. My, my uh, advanced shipment of my books came in. I was more excited about seeing him than the books. So it, it just, <laughs> you know, we have yeah. such a deep connection, us spiritual brother recovery advocates and sisters. I mean, Anna's doing it at a level like I've never seen. She she's yeah, she's, yeah. You know, she's great. It, it, it's it, it, it's it, it's incredible. Um, but you know, when you have that, when you, sometimes you could just be in the room. Like I could be with, with, with Tim or Ryan or Chris and not have to even open up my mouth because mm-hmm. we just we just know it just to have that centeredness and that peace of mind. And that, oh, my God, Greg Williams drove down. We had lunch six, seven months ago. you the director of Anonymous People and uh, Facing Addiction, uh, the guy that runs it. And yeah. I'll tell you, I was more ex- I was more excited about having lunch with him when he came to my house. It was funny. He walked in and Dennis Rahman came walking down the stairs. I know he looked <laughs> a little freaked out. But That's then funny. him and I – yeah, because we had Dennis and Ria at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, but yeah.
1: I was more excited about having lunch with him and more excited to kick Dennis out so him and I can chill out because <laughs> it, when you find that, it's an intangible. It's just something you can't explain, that we all yeah. just know the way we want to live well, I, and we know ourselves.
0: And know. I think at the end of the day too, man, like, you know, people, people tend to – um tend to look at celebrities different, but we're all just people. We all wipe our ass 100%. the same. We all are trying to do, um, you know, the same thing probably be loved and love some others and, uh, do some cool shit along the way. Um, so I think that's great, man. I think that's really good. Now, now is the book out yet or is it, is it getting, it's getting ready to be out.
1: Yeah, the book will be out October 2nd. It's available for sale on Amazon right now or people can go to aiming high book.com. Uh, okay the book will be out october 2nd um it's loaded with some great photos personal and professional ones uh you know the stories are you know i put my heart and soul into this um i got an email the other day from Mark schwartz the revered espn writer that read the intro and said he was in tears and Mm. uh it was riveting and you know hearing stuff like that i know uh I know I'm on the right path for what the purpose of what's this book. This book has nothing to do with what my accomplishments are professionally. It's about just yeah. resonating with that one or two or three people. And if I can save a couple of lives and inspire some people along the way to get sober from aiming high, greatest accomplishment of my life.
0: Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Spreading the love, spreading the word. Uh, you can follow Darren on Instagram at agent underscore DP. That's at agent underscore DP. Uh, Darren, last question for you, man. Um, Any advice for someone out there listening right now who's struggling? Uh, What what would you tell them?
1: For anyone out there that's struggling, the bottom line is just don't give up. There's hope, there's recovery. You know, there's ways that you can get out of this state of mind. You know, just speak to somebody you trust, uh, whether it's a loved one, walk into an AA meeting, an NA meeting, a detox center, people are willing to help. It's an epidemic right now. You're not alone. You're not even a minority anymore. There's a lot more people than you think. I like to think right now, every single person in our life knows somebody suffering with this opiate mm-hmm. epidemic and addiction. So yeah. and, I, and I think that's a fact. I mean, yeah. somebody somewhere, whether it's a family member, a loved one, a colleague, a coworker, So anybody struggling, just know you're not alone.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, Darren, A, thank you so much, man, for coming on Sober Guy Radio. Much appreciated, and thank you for the work you're doing. I'm looking forward to checking out the book. Uh, that's aiminghighbook.com if you want to check it out. Uh, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you doing.
1: Thanks, bro. Well, be in touch. thanks, bro. Thanks.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. Check us out at thatsoberguy.com for more information. Peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.